You are listening to the preaching ministry of Christ Church San Antonio. The following sermon is from our series in the book of Revelation. If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.christchurchsa.com. Thank you for listening. Last week, this week, and next week, where all of the themes and symbols, in a sense, are coming together. 
And at the end of time, what we're talking about this morning, four great events will happen. Jesus will return in glory. We looked at that at the end of chapter 19. The resurrection of the dead will occur. We're going to talk about that today. The final judgment will occur. We're going to talk about that today. And then Jesus will usher in the new heavens and the new earth. We'll talk about that next week. And what we're going to see today is still future. If you've been with us, you'll know that a lot of Revelation is about our present day. But these verses are about a day that is yet to come. And the reason these verses are in the Bible are to help each of us who are here this morning do two things. First, these verses are in the Bible to help each of us turn away from our rebellion against God the King and seek His pardon. And then secondly, these verses are in the Bible that we might have hope and faith that one day soon God is going to make everything right again. So here's how I want to summarize these verses today. God will judge all people at the end of time. That's a very simple summary of what the end of Revelation 20 teaches. God will judge all people at the end of time. And let's break that down and these verses down into three parts. I want to show you the fact of judgment, the basis of judgment, and the result of judgment. The fact, the basis, the result. There's an outline. So here we go. The fact of judgment first. The clear teaching of these verses you don't have to have read the Bible or have a PhD in theology at all to see that at the end of history, God, the living God, will return in the person of Jesus and judge all people. There's an image there in verse 11 that John sees, a great white throne. And that great white throne symbolizes the kingship, the lordship of the almighty God. There's a show on Netflix <clears throat> that Marianne and I have watched part of called The Crown. Some of you might have seen it. It's about Queen Elizabeth, and it particularly covers her early years as the Queen of England. And um, one of the most poignant moments of that show that I've seen so far is when Elizabeth's father, the King of England, dies, and Elizabeth is going to be coronated as the Queen soon. And she sits down in one of the, you know, beautiful sitting rooms in the castle and speaks with her grandmother, the queen mother. And her grandmother is having a discussion with her about how at times as queen, as the monarch, she's going to feel divided between what she personally wants and what the realm needs. Her desires are going to conflict with the desires of the country. And she tells Elizabeth that when she feels divided in her loyalties, she says, the crown must always win. The crown must always win. She's saying to her, in a sense, you are a figurehead, you are a representative of a just and righteous realm. You exist to do what is right for the kingdom, and your crown represents the right and the power to reign. That's what the throne represents for God here in Revelation. We've seen it before. In chapters 4 and 5, we saw it. It represents the holiness of God, that he is righteous and pure in his judgments. That's why it's white. And it represents the power of God. God has the right to judge this world. He made the world and the laws of this world. And the moral framework of each one of our hearts, our own sense of right and wrong, and of what is just and unjust, those come to us from God, our Creator. The Apostles' Creed summarizes this teaching by saying that He will come again to judge the living and the dead. 
And if you'll look again at the verses, you'll see that the emphasis is on the idea that everyone is judged. The dead, small and great, verse 12, stand before this white throne. When the books are opened, death and Hades gave up the dead in them. That is all who have died prior to this moment when Jesus returns, verse 13. Everyone is going to be judged. This corresponds to what Jesus taught in his earthly ministry. Listen to what he says in John chapter 5. He says this, God has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man. Jesus says, do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. So there is a resurrection of the dead and the bodies and souls of all people who have ever lived will be reunited. This will continue on into eternity. We'll talk about that next week. We'll have a bodily existence. And we will stand before God's judgment seat. It is impossible, listen, it is impossible to escape this judgment. And this judgment will be completely fair and equitable. John says in verse 11 that he saw the earth and the sky fly away from God's presence. In other words, there is nowhere to hide for any human, for any of us. The image of the books, verse 12, the dead were judged by what is written in the books. That's an image, a symbol for the truth that God's memory is inexhaustible and unfailing. The books provide a full account of all of our lives before God the judge, okay? So God is going to judge the world. It's a fact. And I want you to see and understand what this means, We may be masters of hiding from others in this life. We may even be masters of hiding from ourselves. But no one can hide from God. God sees everything clearly. Nothing can be spun or politicized or manipulated before him. The scriptures teach that God has perfect comprehension and perspective of every instance, of every action, word, and thought of every human who has ever lived in this world, his world. So at the same time, this can be great news and terrifying news. You know, it's great news because this teaching helps us know that the longing for justice that we all have, that we've talked about before in this series, the longing for wrongs to be made right, That longing is going to be fulfilled. A perfectly good and righteous God will bring total peace and vindication and justice. That's good news. But the terrible news is that if we're honest, we have to admit that often we are on the wrong side of the equation of justice. You don't have to be a Christian to admit that, by the way. No matter your spiritual background, you can hopefully admit that. We often are not only victims of injustice, but at times we have been perpetrators of injustice ourselves. Now, I don't know if this has been put better than C.S. Lewis put it in Mere Christianity. Listen to what Lewis writes. The trouble is that one part of you is on his, that's God's side, and really agrees with his disapproval of human greed and trickery and exploitation. You may want him to make an exception in your own case to let you off this one time, but you know at bottom that unless the power behind the world really 
and unalterably detest that sort of behavior, then he cannot be good. On the other hand, we know, that if, we know that if there does exist an absolute goodness, it must hate most of what we do. That is the terrible fix we are in. We cannot do without God, and we cannot do with him. God is the only comfort. He is also the supreme terror, the thing we most need and the thing we most want to hide from. That's the fact of judgment. It can be both good news and terrifying news. So let's explore that theme a little bit further. Secondly, I want to show you the basis, the basis of judgment. John's vision also makes this clear. In verses 12 and 13, we read, the dead were judged by what was written into the book according to what they had done. Verse 13, they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. What is going on here? Well, it's pretty plain. Here's what the Bible's saying. God judges us based on what we do, based on our actions, based on our works, not just based on what we say. If, if you've been around churches for a while, this might kind of freak you out. And so I don't want you to get freaked out. I want you to listen to what other parts of the Bible say so that you'll hear that this is not just something that John just sort of throws in here. Let me just read you a couple of other verses that talk about the final judgment being according to what we have done. Paul in 1 Corinthians 6 writes this, Do you not know that the unrighteous, listen, will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. That's about what we do, people who do these things, he's saying. People whose lives are consumed with these things. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 30 and 31. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Romans chapter 2, verse 6. God will render to each one according to his or her works. In Jesus' own earthly ministry, he gives a parable, the parable of the sheep and the goats in Matthew chapter 25. And he separates the sheep on one side and the goats on the, one, on the other, those who will enter the kingdom of heaven and those who will not, based on whether they fed the hungry, whether they clothed the naked, whether they helped the sick. And I hope you can see that no one of us can read these things and feel good about ourselves. <laughs> Do you see that? You should not read this if you're being remotely honest and think, I'm good. I measure up to that. I'm set. No one is able to be perfect, which is what Jesus commands us to be in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7. And so as we read that, John says, the book of the book's going to be open and we'll be judged according to what we, we have done. I know you might think that that is just an unfair and an unattainable standard. And here's what you need to hear. You would be correct in believing that it is unattainable, but you would be incorrect in believing that it is unfair. Just think about it like this with me. Even if God were to lower his perfect standard from his law to our laws, we still couldn't measure up. That's part of what the Bible's teaching in another part of Scripture, a chapter I quoted just a minute ago in Romans chapter 2. Paul, the apostle, says that Gentiles, people who don't have access to God's commands, to the law, they are, verse 14, he says, a law unto themselves, 
And what he's saying there is that all people have some sort of moral framework, even if they've never been exposed to the Bible or to God's law. And the point he's making and the point that we can hopefully agree with is that we don't even live up to our own standards. You know, Christians are often criticized, and rightly so, by the way, justifiably, for being hypocrites. You know, Christians can't even measure up to their own standards, so how dare we demand that others measure up to them? But Scripture teaches us that no one can measure up to their own moral standards, much less God's standards. We are all, to some degree, hypocritical. Even if God were to judge you based on your own moral code, you would still fall short. So he's not being unfair. It's very obvious, just if we think about life, how hypocritical we can all be. Let me just give you two examples quickly. One from politics. Uh Uh-oh. One, that's an easy one, right? One from culture. I was reading this week about a a politician named Diane Abbott, who was a left-leaning British politician uh, in the early 2000s, who made news because she had attacked Tony Blair, the then prime minister of Britain, for sending his kids to these really selective state schools. And she was philosophically opposed to the wealthy being able to send their kids to the best schools. She believed that equality was something that should be um, forced from the government. But later, she decided to send her own child, her son, to a ritzy private school, despite supposedly being ideologically opposed to the whole system. And she made her supporters even angrier, by the way, when she was quoted as saying that she did not want her son involved with the wrong crowd. Hypocritical. Another example from pop culture is, and this one's going to make you real mad, Beauty and the Beast. Yeah, I know. I'm... (laughs) Now you're meddling, not just preaching. That's what my dad would tell me. I've not seen the most recent version, uh, but as for the older versions, I think this is fair. You young girls, come tell me if I'm being unfair. After the sermon, uh, come tell me if I'm being unfair. But I think this is fair. What's the main point? One of the main points is that external looks should not matter when it comes to true love. You know, even if the person looks, quote, beastly, he should still be worthy of love and given a chance to prove his own character. Um, But the hypocrisy in that story is in the fact that the heroine is always extremely beautiful. You ever think about that? Um, She is, after all, called beauty. It's not Belle and the Beast. It's beauty and the Beast. And further, when she does fall in love with the Beast and she kisses him or whatever it is, he's transformed into a hideous, deformed old man. No, he's transformed into an amazingly handsome prince undermining the entire supposed point of the story. The story's really reminding us that external beauty really does matter. Hypocrisy like that is everywhere. We can't pretend to even measure up to the the things that we ourselves claim to be important, to our own moral standards, to our own laws, to our own ideals. We can't do it. We all fall short. And God is going to execute a perfectly fair and righteous judgment upon, upon every human based on what we have done. We haven't followed his laws, and for that matter, we haven't even followed our laws. That's what the Bible teaches, and if we're honest, that's what our own experience teaches us. And so all of humanity faces the judgment of God because we have failed to do what God commands. We don't keep his good law. 
And further, we can't even keep our own moral code intact of our, in our lives. And so that is the basis of judgment. And if that is the basis of judgment, what is the result of it? That's what I want to look at with you lastly, okay? The result of judgment. So we see that the books are open. Jesus executes perfect judgment. And death and Hades, verse 13 or 14, are thrown into the lake of fire. And further, those whose names are not written in the book of life, more on that in a minute, they are thrown into it as well. And so one result of judgment, the primary one here, is what Revelation is calling the lake of fire, or verse 14, the second death. Now this is another way of describing what Scripture elsewhere refers to as hell. And, and like most of the rest of Revelation, this language is symbolic, and the primary point being made here with these images of the second death and the lake of fire, the primary point is that hell is a place of loneliness and separation from God's blessed presence. That's the point. And that's the result of judgment. Ultimately, the scriptures teach the punishment of God's judgment for human rebellion is the removal from his presence. And because we are removed from his presence, we are also removed from all that is good and peaceful and satisfying because God is the source of all of those things. So the, quote, torments of hell, the hellishness of hell consists not so much in physical torture, but it consists in the fact that it is final and full separation from God. Listen. Listen, this is the truth. Sin, sin is basically us saying to God, leave me alone. And hell is basically God saying to us, I will leave you alone. Loneliness is the real nature of the punishment. Now think about it this way. Hell may be described as kind of like watching the news on TV. <laughs> I don't mean that the way it sounds initially. Think about it like this. On any given night in almost any country in the world, I, 